0: Thanks, Ian. well I wonder how your life would change if you were able to tell the future it feels like it's been every second Hollywood movie for the last 30 years someone tells the future has the ability to do it causes chaos in their own world or somebody else's world and then by the end of the story uh wishes they didn't have the ability to tell the future in the first place I might be a bit of a script writer, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, I can do that. Um, we've all, we would all have loved the ability, wouldn't we, two years ago, to be able to tell the future, to be able to say what was happening. Now, some people have claimed that there are people out there that do know the future, the writers of the cartoon The Simpsons. They've predicted almost everything that's happened, from Trump's presidency all the way through to the COVID disaster. My big question for the world is, why would you put it on The Simpsons? Are we not watching different strokes the way we should be? Or blue healers? Who knows? What of the Christian, though? Can we know the future? Is there any idea that we might be able to know the future with any sort of, of, of regularity? Can we know? The answer is yes. We can know the future. Because God has told us of the future. Ian has just read a passage of scripture for us that teaches us about the future. And yet, the Bible, God's word to us, does not teach us everything about the future. Today, we come to the final in the series of the Look at all the big words that we've looked at over these last few weeks these ologies that help us to order what the Bible says about various topics has brought us to the last one. The last one about the last things. Eschatology. It's probably a word you've never ever used before, let alone heard. You may never have heard this word before, but you might have heard the apocalypse is coming or it's time for Armageddon or something along those lines. That's what it felt like when the storm came through last night eschatology is the study of the last things. The eschaton is the Greek word that means the last things. Now, for some of you, as you sit and consider this idea of eschatology, thinking about the future and the last things, you immediately go into, this guy's a weirdo territory. That's what we do, isn't it? We've been sensitized to think that way. As Anybody would talk about the future. They must be weird. And then there's others. Christian people who, with a good heart, have a disproportional emphasis on what's going to happen in the future. This morning, however, what I want to do is give us a clear and helpful and relevant picture of what will happen in the future from the words of God himself, from the scriptures. And we might classify this as eschatology as we talk about the last things. Now this morning, once again, if you'd like to ask a question about this, I'm going to answer two or three questions at the end of our talk this morning. You can jump onto your phone and go to slido.com and use the hashtag HBSP to write a question and I'll answer a few a bit later on. In the meantime, let me pray as we dive into God's Word. Heavenly Father, please help us as we talk about this unusual topic this morning. Please teach us from your Word as you promised to do, that your Spirit might be at work in our hearts, that we might be changed people from what we hear. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've already sung two fantastic carols this morning and a bunch of carols last night. And it's a great time to remember, isn't it, what Jesus has done. Remember these words that we've uh, not long ago sung? You'll see them on the screen again now. Christ by highest... I'm not going to sing it. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hailed the incarnate deity. It's a wonderful set of words, isn't it? To describe what it was, what it what it is that Jesus has done, coming for the very first time. Jesus came, God with us with a mission of suffering and death on a cross in order that he might save us and give us new and eternal life. This is what Jesus did when he came to the world. But as Jim French in our mission spot so clearly told us, that was Jesus' first coming, the first of two. Jesus, we're told in the scriptures, will come a second time into the world. Look at this passage from John chapter 14, verse 3. Again, it's on your screen. Jesus said to his disciples, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus will come a second time. This is a a, a truth of the Bible that is all over the pages of the scriptures. And here are just two other examples of this. First of all, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And Hebrews 9 says it a different way. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Jesus has come at Christmas the first time, and he will come again. And this is the key to us understanding what will happen at the end, at the last things, when Jesus comes to wrap up the world. And so this morning, I want to ask the question when will it happen? How will it happen? And why will it happen that Jesus returns? And then I want to finish with just some reflections on how that shapes our life in the here and now. So, first of all, when will it happen? This is the question that everyone wants to know, isn't it? When will it happen? When will Jesus come back? And the answer is, don't know. Don't know. Can not give you that answer? A huge number of passages, particularly in the New Testament, tell us of this reality. Let me show you just a couple on the screen, starting with Matthew 24. Jesus said, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, That if the master of the house had have known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then Luke 12 says it a different way. You must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, For you yourselves are fully aware that the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And then finally, in 2 Peter chapter 3, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and its works done on it will be exposed. These are just a small glimpse of the many passages of Scripture that teach us that we don't know when Jesus will come a second time. This means if anyone tells you that they do know when Jesus is coming back a second time, don't believe them because Jesus himself says that nobody knows he does describe it though on many occasions doesn't he as predictable as a thief coming in the night now this is not supposed to make the disciples or us as followers of Jesus somehow scared that he will return that's not the idea of the the passage but just simply to say that a thief does not come to your house put a letter in your letterbox and say that on Tuesday next week between 3 and 4 p.m., he will come to your house, so please leave all of the valuables on the dining room table. He'll just make that life easier for him. No thief does that. They come when you least expect it, and that's what Jesus is saying. He will come at a time when it's not expected. When will it happen? We don't know. Will it happen? Yes, but we don't know when. Now, you might say, if you know your Bible well, you might say, what about those passages of Scripture that seem to say there's a bunch of things that need to happen before Jesus returns? Passages like this one from Mark chapter 13. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places. There'll be famines, but these are the beginning of the birth pains. I don't have to tell you that over the last two years, people have been using all sorts of verses like this to say Jesus is coming back really soon. Viruses around the world, earthquakes in Melbourne, all sorts of natural disasters happening around the world, uh, the, the prospect of war with big nations in the world and so on. But this is not the point of what Jesus is saying in this passage or any other like it. When Jesus describes that there will be wars and famines and earthquakes, he is describing everything that regularly goes on in a broken world between his first and second coming. See, it would be strange, wouldn't it? It would be strange if on the one hand, with many, many passages of scripture, Jesus says, nobody knows except the Father when he will return. And yet, on the other hand, if we just buy the right newspaper and watch the right news sources on TV, we might be able to just work out when Jesus would return. Of course, it's nonsense, isn't it? No, Jesus will return. Yes, that is true. But at a time we don't know, and we won't be able to work it out by reading the Herald or the Telegraph or watching 9, 7, 10 or anything else. But the one thing we do know, is that Jesus' return is more likely today than it was yesterday. We're always a day closer. Luke chapter 21 makes a point along these lines. Look at what it says. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus is saying, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus' return? It could happen at any time. It could happen before I'm finished speaking. You're saying, oh, I wish that would happen. (laughs) Maybe not. The timing may surprise you, but the fact of his coming ought not to surprise you in the first place. Jesus will return. And when he does, we need to be in a right relationship with him. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Secondly, how will it happen? Again, the Bible is very clear. He will come personally. Look at Revelation 22, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And John the Apostle says, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Revelation chapter 1 says, Behold, he is coming, that's Jesus, with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. And then Acts one eleven, when Jesus goes up into heaven, this is what uh, the, uh, the apostles are told, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven Jesus will come personally he will come visibly and he will come bodily not as some spirit all across the world in some way Jesus coming the second time will be different to his coming the first time the first time it was in weakness and obscurity in a backwater town that nobody knew about in Bethlehem the second time he will come on the clouds a biblical way of speaking of power and glory Now, again, more than this, we cannot say. How will the whole world know of the coming of Jesus if he comes personally and bodily? How will they all know at the same time? These are questions we cannot answer. The mechanics of it are not told to us in the scriptures. And our desire to know more about those mechanics is the very reason why God has not told us. You see, the more we want to know about the mechanics, the less we lose sight of who it is that is returning. And who is returning is the Lord Jesus, personally, visibly and bodily. And our focus and attention is to be on him and not the mechanics of how it all happens. Because when he comes, he will bring a decisive change to the world. Which brings us to our third question this morning. Why will he return? Well, firstly, he will return to bring a close to history. Look at what 1 Corinthians 15 verse 24 says. Then comes the end. A whole chapter about the resurrection of, uh, of humanity, but the return of Jesus will usher in the end. When Jesus returns, it will be the end of the era, the end of history, the end of the age, and this is a biblical reality that affects everyone. Everyone. See, we need to fight this reality that a lot of people think the world is not just a never-ending trip around the sun. See, the fact that we think that way leads us to think all sorts of things. We look at our natural phenomena and we say we ought to care for the environment around us. And let me say we should. God asked us to be stewards of the environment around us. But we can't get to such a point that we can do so much damage to the environment that we can end the world by ourselves that's not biblical should we look after it yes is us not looking after it going to end the world no we should look after it we should keep it going but there is coming a time when jesus will return when things will be completed when life as we know it will end Uh, secondly and there's a passage on your screen from john chapter 5 verse 28 look at it there Secondly, Jesus will return to resurrect the dead. Look at what he says. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. As I mentioned before, 1 Corinthians 15 is a whole chapter about this reality. Jesus will return and all people will be resurrected. All people. Mary and Martha knew this, didn't they? When Mary and Martha were faced with the death of their brother Lazarus and Jesus came to visit them, they knew that he would be resurrected on the last day. And so will we. When the Lord Jesus returns, resurrection will happen for everyone. But it isn't a resurrection that will usher in eternal life for everyone. Because thirdly, Jesus will come to judge. Look at these three passages on the screen. For the Son of Man, Matthew's Gospel says, is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. And in Acts 10, he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God, to be judge of the living and the dead. And then finally, in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. When Jesus returns, he will return not only to bring history to a close and resurrect the dead, but to judge the world. Each person will be judged... For what they have done in the world. And there is no sliding scale. The scale is this. Perfection, you're in. Not perfection, you're out. As Jesus said to his disciples, be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. And if you're like me and not perfect, then you will be charged by God, Jesus when he returns as guilty. Everyone will be guilty. Because outside of Jesus, nobody is perfect. And yet the good news of Jesus' return that makes it not fearful for the Christian person is this, it's a day of judgment when Jesus returns, but it's also a day of vindication when Jesus returns. For though we are all guilty, Jesus came the very first time to die on a cross and bring forgiveness for all who would trust in him. The Christian is not a a saved person because they're a good person or better than other people, but because they trust Jesus. And so though we will stand before the judge, Jesus, and be declared guilty, when our time of sentencing comes, Jesus will step forward and say, I've already paid the sentencing penalty for that guilty person. Let them go free into my eternal life. And so the day of judgment from Jesus is also therefore a day of vindication for all who have trusted in him. It's a day of salvation for all who have known and loved the Lord Jesus. It's a wonderful day. And so if Jesus will return, and he will bring an end to this world, and he will resurrect us, and he will be the judge of the world it means that everything we do in this life is all about the one purpose of knowing the Lord Jesus the only way to find refuge from the guilt that is rightly on top of us and so this is the story of Jesus return he will return when we don't know how bodily personally and visibly and why to judge the world after we've been resurrected and to bring an end to this age and to the new life with the Lord Jesus. So what does this mean for us? I mean, what difference? It's good to know all of that, but what difference does it make for us today? Well, as we finish, five reflections on what it means for us today. Number one, we need to understand God's patience. See, for some people, they would say, well... It's been a long time since Jesus' first coming. 2,000 years. I don't think he's going to come back a second time. It's a bit fanciful. People have been saying this for a long time. The whole, ah, yeah, right mentality has been in human beings since the time of writing the Bible. Look at what 2 Peter chapter 3 says. It's on your screen. They will say... Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Jesus won't come back a second time. Look, the world just keeps going around the sun like it has done for years years and years and years and years and years and... Next verse. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years as a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, Then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies burned up and dissolved, and the earth exposed, and the works done on it will be exposed as well. Why has there been a 2,000-year delay in the coming of Jesus? Well, it's the patience of God. How thankful are you that Jesus did not return in 1895? He could have, but he didn't. How thankful are you that Jesus didn't return in your own lifetime, but before you became a follower of his, before you became a Christian. We need to understand God's patience and recognise that this time in between is the patience of God, wishing people to repent and turn to him and follow him that they might know his mercy. Secondly, it means we should live in holiness. This passage in 2 Peter goes on to say this. Look at what it says, 2 Peter Chapter 3, verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort, of, uh, uh, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and des- dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. But according to the promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Because Jesus will return, Peter says... We should live well now, knowing that he will return. Now, I never had a party when my parents were away on holidays. Maybe it was because they were smart. They never went on holidays away when I was there. But no, I wouldn't have been that type of kid anyway. But I knew plenty of people who did that. Their parents would go away for the weekend. And what would they do? They'd organise a whopping great big party at their own home. And then, of course, sometimes, occasionally, the parents would come home early, wouldn't they? and see the party in full swing. If that was to happen in my household, I wouldn't be all that happy about it. Why not? Well, because we live as members of one family. And with Jesus, it's the same. Jesus is not with us in person at the moment. He has sent his spirit, yes, but he's not with us in person. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't still carry on the family likeness. We should live in holiness, not running amuck while he's away, but living with the family likeness even though he is away bodily. This is what it means to live in holiness so that when Jesus returns, we're not surprised, but we're living as the members of his body. Thirdly, we should long for the coming of Jesus. It's strange to say, isn't it, and it might be hard for us to put into our minds but if you're a follower of Jesus you should long for Jesus to come which means this end the end of this age will come can you say that if you can't say that perhaps you've misunderstood your salvation you see the salvation you have is not just a ticket to eternal life which is just a bit more better than what we've got now but eternal life is a long-term Eternal, face-to-face relationship with Jesus. And when we are not visibly, bodily and personally with Jesus each day, our hearts should pang to be with him. We know this feeling, don't we? As many of you have not been able to see family and friends for such a long time and our hearts pang to see those people. And if we know Jesus, we should long to be with him. But like so many, we have grown accustomed to living in this world We've grown accustomed to enjoying this world and we have a sense of FOMO, the fear of missing out in this world and we don't necessarily long for the coming of Jesus. The theologian Wayne Gruden puts it well. Look at what he says in this uh, quote here. The more Christians are caught up in enjoying the good things of this life and the more they neglect Christian fellowship and personal relationship with Christ, the less they will long for his return. On the other hand, many Christians who are experiencing suffering or persecution or are more elderly or infirm and whose daily walk with Christ is vital and deep will have a more intense longing for his return. To some extent then, the degree to which we actually long for Jesus' return is a measure of the spiritual condition of our own lives at that moment. It also gives some measure to the degree to which we see the world as it really is, as God sees it, in bondage to sin and rebellion against God and in the power of the evil one. Fourthly, we should live in pencil. Jesus' return puts us between two extremes. Someone might say, as they did in the days of the scriptures when the book of Thessalonians was written, that it leads us to say, well, if Jesus is returning, I'll just live a lazy life and do whatever I want. He couldn't come back tomorrow. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm going to quit my job and get on with everything. Now, that tends not to be the case today. The other extreme, though, is the one that we tend to be into. Because Jesus hasn't come back and maybe won't come back because it's been 2,000 years and it's been so long, we have a sense of self-determination in our lives, a, a sense of control that my life is my life and I'm in charge and I'll plan it as I wish. But if Jesus could return at any time, we should live in pencil. It's actually a gift of God in some ways the last two years, isn't it? Teaching us this way of living. None of us have been able to plan with any great uh, uh, certainty over the last two years. We've had to plan in pencil. And so we should with the impending return of Jesus. Yes, we plan and we even plan long term, but we don't so emotionally invest in our own personal plans that we forget or even wish that it wouldn't happen that Jesus would return. Finally, we live in hope. We live in hope. The hope for the Christian is not the same as a Christmas hope, the hope that I'll get something for Christmas, but you're not quite sure. The hope for the Christian is reality. Jesus will return. He told us he would with a solid and secure future for all who trust in him. And hope, we're told in 1 Peter, is a living hope, secured by the great power of God himself. And hope helps us in this life. Once again, over the last two years, in many ways, it's been hard for people to cope because of the lack of hope. The onset of this pandemic, closing down our diaries and having nothing much to look forward to in the future, has caused a large degree of mental anguish for some people. We know what that feels like, don't we? On a Wednesday in the office, when you know you're going to do something fun on the weekend... It just motivates you to get through the hump day and into Thursday and Friday because you know that you're going to do something fun on the weekend. Or you know that you can work the next six weeks of work because after those six weeks of work, I get to go on a three-week holiday and it's going to be wonderful. Hope helps. And the hope we have in the Lord Jesus, if we trust in him, is so strong. Because it's held in the power of God. You see, the concert you wanted to go to, it can get cancelled tomorrow, can't it? We know that. Christmas that we're looking forward to, I don't want to tell you, but it could get cancelled tomorrow. But the hope that Jesus holds out can never be cancelled. It's secured in the power of God. When Jesus returns, he provides new and eternal life with him for all who trust in him. And that hope means that you can go through anything. You can go through suffering, hardship, You can even look square in the face of death and laugh because God's hope is bigger than all of those things. This is what it means to live in the last days. The phrase that the Bible uses to describe the time between the two comings of Jesus, the first and second coming, the time in between that we live now. Jesus will return. It could happen at any time. It will happen personally and visibly and bodily. And he will come to be the judge of the world and resurrect us and bring an end to this age. And so now we should live differently. Are you ready for the coming of Jesus? The coming of Jesus that brings great joy to all who trust in him. As he comes, not as the baby, but as the reigning king. I wonder if you might like to ask a question or two. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to reflect, to have a think, and to write a question on slido.com, hashtag HBSP, and I'm going to come back in a minute or two to answer some of those questions. Just the one question this morning, everyone, thank you for uh, uh, engaging with, with that. Here's the question, will everyone be resurrected or just believers? Uh, everyone will be resurrected, uh, but, uh, but uh, only believers to new and eternal life. And so that's, uh, that's the, uh, the picture that the Bible gives. There is a, uh, that idea of the general resurrection, that generally everyone will be resurrected, but some will go to eternal life, uh, those who have trusted Jesus and uh, uh, the rest will not. Uh, Someone else has asked a question just now. No, seriously, when? Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, I don't know who that was. I bet you I'm going to try and work out who that was when morning tea happens. Let me pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending the Lord Jesus the first time to die on the cross and deal with sin and to uh, give us forgiveness and new and